Wait, no, no, no. You went to Berman. You went to Berman uh, telephone guys from yeah. Sesame Street. Were they the ones, too, that were trying to get tangerines? Did they, they went for tangerines? I don't remember Sometimes that. Once their arms would only go up, and they go, bop, 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 and then they tried to get the tangerines, but they could yeah. only reach up, so then they needed help from a thing that could reach down. I guess about- when, when, when my Berman gets going, it becomes jazz scat. And then one time, and I put this in my act, it was one of those things that accidentally happened. <laughs> But I started, I realized he could just go, <laughs> he can also do underwater. Hold on, I was doing Mario walking. You can't cut off. Let's test That's what the podcast has gone back to. Chuck E. Cheese video games. He's got to get the hammer. So today I'm introducing the guest because today's he's not on yet, but we're zooming because you're near death again, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always around. Let me get into the guest, uh, Mark Schlereth, who I've been friends with for quite a while, and I'm going to try and have him remind me how we became friends. I think it was through Mike and Mike, or maybe Twitter or something like that that you hate. Hate? Uh, yeah, no Twitter, not uh, Mark Schlereth or Mike and Mike. Um, so uh, he's going to be helping us with some uh, football takes because. Man, you, uh, you're right on the money with uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to get into that. And uh, I still, even though the last few weeks we've talked about uh, Russell Wilson, I still would take Russell Wilson just an experience, but Mahomes is moving up even faster. Um, what, what game is he playing? He's playing a different football game. It's, 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 uh, I mean, like, like we talked about with Michael Lombardi, slow motion. He's Magic Johnson. Um, it's unbelievable. It's he you know, is. I, I look at the Chiefs last night, and I started thinking, uh, this is like boxing when a fighter knows he's a better fighter, and then starts dancing with his opponent and almost gets taken out. They started yeah. playing around last night. I mean, yeah, they they is, they got sloppy. Let's got, let's oh, let's save this because I want to talk about you got COVID in your building again. Says so you can't do a show without talking about COVID at the at the. Uh, WKRP over there. <laughs> That's all I could yeah. think. I had, uh, I, had, um, I had lunch with a guy, a sales guy, who ended up over the weekend getting a positive test. So for the Now, is he out and about, or what do you think? Where do you think that's coming from? Uh, he's a social, he's a good dude, but he's a social butterfly. And he's very kind. I think he's one of those people that's too nice for COVID, I like to call him. Yeah. Like, too big to fail. Uh, too nice for COVID um, because he he just won't say no. If you're like, hey, buddy, you want to go grab down? You know what? I shouldn't, but I will. Because he doesn't ever want to tell you no. He's just a nice person. So he's done some things for his kids in other states. Uh, and he's done some bouncing. And so then, does he and your radio partner, Brady, do they go like, hey, do you want to go visit some COVID patients? Yeah. You want to go breathe on each other and just in case? <laughs> the, uh, the three people that have confirmed uh, COVID in our building are all the ones that just don't take social cues. Well, they, they, they're, they're the ones who are you have too three kind. that currently have it. No, but Brady, uh, a lady and this guy have had it. And then there's been a couple others, but they're kind of just happenstance people. Like there's probably what, what Rich, like maybe seven or eight total since, Is there since that many in the building. Yeah. We've had a couple of weekenders, the guys at the other stations. Oh, I forgot about the weekenders. Yeah, you're right. It is about seven. Yeah, so, so are this, they, are, is the building getting shut down? No, no. this, this is uh, and what's weird is I think I'm the only one who got a test. 
because I had lunch with the guy last week. And then basically the guys on the show with me are waiting for my results, which are in my handy dandy phone here soon. And if I'm positive, they've got it because we've been going for a few days, not knowing. So yeah, uh, we're almost to a point of over testing. It seems yeah, like, you know, yep. I mean, this is my sixth all, one. Yeah. And I've had five myself. So, yeah. so when you, when you, um, if you confirmed with it and some of these people that are getting confirmed with it, are they not going back to work until they have the negative test? Cause I, I constantly hear people go, well, I waited at home for two weeks and then I just thought that was enough. And then I'm going back to work and you don't know that's, that's a bad way to go about it. The CDC put out papers that we stand by too. And I don't like this, that if you're 10 days without symptoms after your diagnosis, you're, you can go back. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's, and that's not necessarily on the employer. Like the employer doesn't have much say in that um, if the building's open. So right, it's a worker's uh, rights issue. Worker's rights. Yeah. So they can come back. Brady on the show with us tested positive for three solid months. I don't know that he's ever had a negative test. He had, he's had one. Oh, did he get one? Okay. So he had yep. two inconclusive and then he was fine. And I'm like, you can come back because at this point the tests are bad. So then he, he did get a negative. You're right. I forgot about that. Yep. So hopefully I get a negative one today. I feel well, that's fine. weird, isn't it? Anything else in the world, if you tested positive for the plague and <laughs> they, and, uh, they said 10 days without symptom, plague symptoms, you could, I, w I can't believe that would be okay to go back. That is weird. That's a, that's a, that's a Fauci right. thing too. That's a CDC thing. So I was and against be, it completely. Right. Like it's not, it's a, it's the CDC guidelines and employers can't really fight it. And it becomes on that worker too. Like we don't yeah. have the type of workers aside from Brady. Brady would have come back as soon as he felt okay. But well, we, if he could have ignored the fact that anyone talked, like if he could act like it was normal before it was even negative, he would have yeah. done it. Cause I mean, he just didn't want to be saddled with the stigma. I want to get, he I, hates I, that. Yeah. <laughs> he has the, he, has he always the says that too. In the middle of the show, he's like, you know, you get because uh, of the songs we did for him over at your house. Yeah. Right? You get uh, you get a beat up pretty bad for being the guy who had it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because you know you go into situations with people who are sick. Now I don't think not interacting was fine, but when somebody was sick and you said, yeah, I played golf with a sick guy this week. During yeah, COVID. you're not making fun of somebody, and I was part of it. We weren't making fun of somebody for getting it, uh, no. for for uh, you know for uh, contracting it. We no. were making fun of the situation they put themselves in stupidly exactly. to get it. And that's and a he big still difference. defends that, by the way. He still defends that and says, He's well, you know, all it was was I was riding in the car with a guy. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and he says the same thing, too. He's like, uh, I mean, the symptoms are the same as allergies, and this guy's an allergy sufferer. And I just say, in this day and age, don't count it as allergies. That's all. Yeah. You've got to count everything unless it's a podcast at my house and it's you. And then we're just going <laughs> to, right. although we are doing, uh, we are doing complete zoom today. Oh, we had Schlereth and then we lost him. Wow. Um, maybe I didn't put him in fast enough. Uh, yeah. Let me check in with him real quick. Oh, he, he was on iPhone two. Uh, oh. I think Mark uh, is the type of person after watching them. I'm going to get along with quite well. Oh, you've never met Schlereth. No, That's why you're calling him Schlereth off, off camera. Schlereth. Schlereth. I think the, I think the uh, his attitude on the air is uh, almost always that. Yeah. That, that kind of like, you guys think you know, but the, it's a, due to, oh, he's sideways. He's going to tip over. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. It is iPhone 2. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Schlereth, uh, we have uh, – Rich Page, Big Dick Toledo. Is, uh, I had to go through that. Uh, he's on the bottom left on my screen. I'm not sure about yours. And then John Holmberg of KUPD in Phoenix and uh, legend uh, of uh, Impressions characters and just uh, ultimate humorist. How about that? I'm a, I put I, that together. Ulti ultimate humorist is good. All right. Yeah. yeah. UFC humorist. So, Mark, we, how did, do you remember how we met? The, it was at Mike and Mike. Was that, did I text you out of Mike and Mike or? Yeah, we probably, we met somewhere uh, during my ESPN days. And, you know, I mean, um, I was just kind of a big groupie, you know, type of, <laughs> I was just watching you and, and then I was, you know, kind of groveling all over you because of your uh, facial 
I have, it might have been on a set of Mike and Mike, and you just kept going, why is this guy making faces while I'm doing impressions? You yeah, know? you have that syndrome saying, that might be its own virus. Where yeah. If you're... If, if somebody's doing a voice around you and I, you know, we did, John does it too, where we make the facial expressions happen, right. that you're one of those guys that will do it along with, you know, who, uh. you know, who does it on accident and does it with just regular people talking is Colin Cowherd. Cowherd will mouth your words right. as, as you're talking. And, um, but Mark does that. Like he'll be, he'll have scrunchy apple face as yeah. I'm, you know, doing Gruden. He'll start going. I'll tell you, what. you can almost see him getting ready. I want to break in yeah, here, man. I will. I'll be like, I'll tell you what. You know, and the Colin Coward thing. The great thing about Colin Coward, and you know, my impression will be off. But like he, he gets you to believe shit that just isn't even <laughs> real, right? Or doesn't matter. And so he'll be like, um, like he'll he'll say something. And then he'll state it again, and then he'll state it for a third time. And at the end of the third time, you're like, you know what? He's right. It's the most insanely stupid thing. So he'll be like, you know, NBA players are tall. They are. They just are. And you're like, you know what? He's right. I was in grocery store. I saw an NBA player, and he was tall. And like, and it's like the dumbest thing you could ever imagine. But he's just great at getting you to know, buy into his BS. Yeah, his analogies are so over the top and everything always goes into marriage and stuff like that. He did those great promos where he's like, you know, the quarterback, and he starts going off that way. He's buying ice cream or a salad or something like that, and he's just talking to the oh, – I think it was at the cleaners. He's just telling the guy at the cleaners yeah. about the high school quarterback who's so handsome and all that type of stuff. But here's the, here's the thing about him. That, like, that's real. Like, yeah. that, he, gets, he, he, he corners you somewhere – and he goes, you know, I was just thinking. And then he goes through a whole diatribe. And you'll be like, well, that's just dumb. Because, you know, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, hmm. And then he walks off. And then five <laughs> minutes later, you see him on your show. I was just thinking. And he basically, you know, he basically changes his opinion from the time you saw him <laughs> in the green room till he walks out on the set. And he's like, you know, I was just thinking. He's He uses a, a rule that I use. And, um, and so I always tell my radio partner here in Denver that uh, he's my intellectual property. And so the first time that I take something from his, I'll actually credit. I'll take something of his, like an opinion he has. I'll go, you know, my partner, Mike Evans said, and then the next time I see somebody and I want to, you know, I want to restate, I'll go, you know, some guy I know <laughs> once said, and then the <laughs> third time I just take it. It's mine. After, after I give you credit once, the second time I just referred to you as a guy, I know, the third time, it just becomes mine. And that's how I've made it 20 years in television doing that. It's just a, a tremendous, it's a tremendous asset and tool that I have. It's the bullshit meter. If you're good yeah. at pushing it, it's fine. I love that Colin Coward, because I've been watching the show a little bit lately, is that, like, he'll try to find controversy, like what you're saying, tries to find controversy in the thing and convince you it was an argument. It's like, the sky is blue. And I'll argue with anybody that says different, because it just is. And it's like, how did you just reaffirm what we all knew and make well, that, me feel like you discovered it? It's one time, uh, one time years back, I told that was I kind of had a little bit. I never did the voice great, but I would go to him. He just reaffirms everything that he says. Yeah. He'll say, uh, he'll say something like, you know, uh, you know that I do. It, it, he goes back and forth, and he's like. Uh, he, he said that he did that with his wife. He's like, you know, yeah, my wife said she does. She just does. Yeah. She agrees yeah. with me. She did. And she said, I didn't. And I didn't. She, so he went back and forth with that. And then I see him on TV and he stopped doing it as much as he used to because he used to do it really, really bad. Anytime I've ever pointed something out, one time I pointed out the, this is the herd. The next week it was, this is the herd. Like he right. changes it. <laughs> Well, it is oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, you get into that and you start to realize how powerful the talking head is, is that they can affirm the basics and make you feel like that and then say something crazy and convince you of something that may or may not be there. And uh, that's why I always tell Frank about Lamar Jackson. It's like you're being sold. And it's my, it's, I totally believe that if the more you're told something, the more you're going to look for those things to be real See, and it's a great sales pitch. It's a great See, Mark, he's not a, he's, I, I like Lamar Jackson, and we're going to get into some of this, this analysis from a, a person who actually knows stuff like you. Maybe uh, a reason why. Yeah. Yes, it could, uh, there could be. I oh, could. But, By the way, I got to tell you, I see the terrible towel. 
Um, so the Pittsburgh show, I was a kid that grew up in Alaska. And the only thing I ever wanted to be since the time I was 12 was an NFL football player and, and be involved in the NFL. And uh, the morning game in Anchorage, Alaska was always the Steelers. And the afternoon game was always like the Cowboys, pretty much, as I was growing up. And I could get up early in the morning because the games kicked off at about 7, and then we'd go to church, you know, at uh, the, uh, the 11 o'clock service or whatever. So I missed the afternoon games, but I always watched the Steelers, and they became my favorite team. And those guys are still – like, I don't geek out too much over celebrities. I geek out over ex-football players, you know, the old guys that you meet. And I'm at the uh, Super Bowl – one in Arizona, probably like 2007. And I love the Steelers. I grew up, I love those 70 Steelers, you know, from Bradshaw to Lynn Swan to John Stallworth to Franco Harris to Rocky Blyer to you name it, you know, Elsie Greenwood, Joe Green, all those guys. Those oh. were my idols. Those are the guys. Mike Webster was my favorite all time player. They all, keep talking, all Mark. Keep talking. Yeah. So, so I walk into the, I'm walking into the hotel. Uh, it's the media main media hotel and I'm walking in with Trey Wingo and from across the freaking, you know, from across the, the, the entryway all the way down to the other end, I see Mel Blunt and I never met Mel Blunt, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God, that's, that's Mel Blunt. And I kind of, you know, elbow Wingo go, Hey, Mel Blunt, Mel Blunt, you know, <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Famer. Right. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I see him, I see him. So we're walking through the hallway, you know, and like I get, I like get geeked up. I get nervous, right? Oh my God, it's one of the old time Steelers. So I walk by and I'm thinking to myself, do I introduce myself to him? Whatever I do. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't just bother him. He's just standing over there. So we walk up, we get about four or five feet away and he kind of gives his head nod and goes, hey, Mark, how you doing? Oh. And so I, at the time I just acted cool. I was like, hey, Mel, man, good to meet you. Great to see you, blah, blah, blah. And deep down inside, I was like, Mel Blunt knows my name. <laughs> like, I was like totally. So I like leave. I go up the elevator. I call my wife. And I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Man, I'm walking through the lobby. And I'm looking at Mel Blunt. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's Mel Blunt. And, I, and, and, and he says, hi, Mark. Like, Mel Blunt knows who I am. And she says, who's Mel Blunt? And I'm like, woman, I don't even know you. And I just hung up on her right there. <laughs> I was like, how dare you not know who Mel Blunt is? But it was like a huge thrill for me. So yeah. I get the Pittsburgh thing, but go on with the Lamar. I'm sorry about that. Oh, I, I thought, no, what? I thought that I thought that was going to take a turn, and it turned out you had a jacket with your name on it. That's no. what I thought it was going to be. I, I, I was I just reading your shirt. Right. No, I got absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I had no jacket. He actually knew me from that television. Awesome. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a – that's one of the cool moments of my life right there. And well, yeah, before we get into the, the analysis stuff, the, you came out here, you were doing the uh, Schlereth Stinking Good Green Chili. You, yeah. Are you still in Arizona? Yeah, we're still in Arizona. The Costco's in Arizona and uh, New Mexico and Colorado and all over the place, yeah. Yeah, and that, I, I lived off of Stinking Green Chili for about a month. <laughs> and we, we had so much in the freezer. Uh, right. He gave me a discount. I didn't even get it free. He's like, you know, this cost me. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it was great. And then, then we even went to a, a store because I was in Denver and I was over there with you. And we went to a store back when you could go to grocery stores. And uh, we, we went by the stinking green, uh, yeah. stinking good green chili um, display. And Mark just casually walked around like, nobody's recognizing me, huh? If Mel Blunt were here, he'd know who I was. <laughs> I'm always like, boy, that's great stuff right there. Uh, I tried it. You should try <laughs> the best was we went we went to zip sports grill out here and uh, nobody recognized me but everybody's looking at schlereth because he's like yeah i go to a sports grill or something like that it's over everybody knows who i am yeah that's the only place anybody actually recognizes me if i go to some type of sports bar you know sports restaurant they see you yeah i think it's hilarious because i, I like the uh, the geek out on on people i don't get starstruck but i do buy my, my teams, the Cubs and the Steelers, I lose my mind over that stuff. If Mel Blunt walked by me and knew my name, I'd probably get arrested for stalking. I'd just hang out. I got, I got wrapped up in a conversation with Nolan Harrison about the 97 AFC championship game, and we were at a bar, and he was really nice talking to me, and everything's going great. Uh -huh. And this, this girl came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder, and she goes, I love your show. And I'm like, thanks, you're beautiful. I said, thank you. And she goes, do you want to dance? And, I'm, and I, did, I literally did this. 
Nolan Harrison. And she's like, right. okay. And I'm like, no, that's with you. No, no. I get Nolan Harrison. We're talking 97 AFC championship game. Right. And, he, uh, and, and, I, and then the second she walked away, Nolan goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, right. I don't know. I really used to. <laughs> <laughs> he knew that I was geeking out over him. Like he was like, I'm only Nolan Harrison. It's not Mel Blunt. But he right. was all yeah, I geek out over Steelers. It's crazy. I gotta calm it down. Yeah, well, I do too. So we have that in common. So it's not that big a deal. Good. All right, good. So we're re- recording this on Tuesday this week. Monday night football just happened. And uh I actually thought that the uh that the the Ravens were gonna win. I thought that defense was gonna mm-hmm. give uh, the Chiefs' trouble. I, I was just watching it go at the beginning, going, "Oh, this is going to be trouble for the Chiefs." And we were saying this early. I don't remember if it was on air or off. John and I. He's playing in slow motion. Mahomes is. It's unbelievable to see what's going on out there. What do you see as a former NFL player? And how many Super Bowl rings do you have? Uh, just three. Oh. I mean, you know, who's counting? <laughs> you know. I'm three and zero. Oh. I mean, I always say I talk <laughs> like to guys Jordan. all the time, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like Teddy Bruce. I used to go, oh, do tell me what it's like to lose one. You know, I mean, I, I'm not gonna go if I'm gonna lose. I'm not. I just was like, hey, you know what? We'll go another year. You guys take it this year, right? So, uh, no, it worked out really good. I actually played on some pretty good teams, and uh, they drug me along for the ride. So I was appreciative. Yeah. So what 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 did you see last night? You're watching Mahomes. And Lamar Jackson battled it out for a few right. minutes at least. There's a difference, right? I mean, there's a, there's oh. a huge difference. Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things that really intrigue me. Um, I saw this, uh, you know, we were just talking, or I was referencing Trey Wingo. I saw him tweet this out, and it's fascinating. Uh, Lamar Jackson is 18-0 and when he has a 10-point lead at any time in his NFL career. He is now 0-5 when he has a 10-point deficit that he's got, he has to overcome. And, and I, think, I think here's the deal. You, when you look at the Ravens, the way they're spread offense, right? They're an option type of offense. And they do such a great job of actually getting extra blockers at the point of attack and then using Lamar Jackson, obviously, in that kind of almost quote-unquote running back role. And what ends up happening, if you split the field in half right across from the center and you can get extra people on the other side, you can basically split a defense in half and get, you know, a a six-on-five blocking kind of situation with the the quarterback actually running it. So you actually have them outflanked by two men, the quarterback and the extra blocker. So sometimes if you divide the field in half and you'll have four defenders on one side, you can get a fifth or sixth guy over there and the quarterback. So now you've got a two-man advantage blocking with the quarterback running the ball. So they do a phenomenal job of basically keeping you off balance and getting a number count that's favorable on the offensive side for running the football. They do it all the time. They're the best in the league at it, and people have a really hard time defending it. The other thing that does for you is it constantly puts you in one-on-one matchups, whether it's a slot receiver down the seam or a tight end on a deep over route or – you know, some type of slant route off of play action. It's just a one-on-one, basically, I'm picking one receiver out there and I'm throwing him the football. And they are exceptional, and he's exceptional at hitting those routes and throwing it to those routes. But all of a sudden, when you shut that down and they get down by, you know, seven or ten points, and he has to throw them back into the game, he struggles with that. He struggles with basic route combinations and having layered routes and doing those things. And so what ends up happening to, to the Ravens is he just hasn't had the ability to throw them back into a ball game in a traditional sense of a drop back quarterback. And when you get down by 10 points, you know, or, or 12 or whatever it is, that's what you feel like you have to do. You have to throw it. And it takes away the advantage of the number counts they have in the running game and the one-on-one advantage they have when they're running it really well and the singular throws, like the, the one-route combos, you know, the guy that you're reading, you're basically reading one man and you're throwing it to that guy. So it really eliminates some of that stuff. And it's not that he won't be able to do that sometime in the future. It's just not what he's done up to this point 
in college or in the pros. Whereas you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, man, that's what they do. They win from the pocket. When hey, when Mahomes has to scramble, you know, when I always call it the 70-30 rule, 70% of the time you're on schedule, 30% of the time you're off schedule. And what that means is, hey, when I when I drop back 70% of the time, I'm throwing it to the first option or the second progression, second guy in my progression, whatever it is. And I'm going to operate from the pocket that way. When things break down, I can still scramble around and make a play. And that's what Mahomes has grown up in, and he's phenomenal at it. And I, I will tell you, you know, it's really funny. I live here in Denver, and um, my football team is a shit show. And um, <laughs> th- they're awful. And this whole this whole offseason, um, you know, John Elway was on a victory tour because they won the draft. You know, they got all kinds of speed. And I kept hearing people talk about – well, if you're going to beat Kansas City, you got to match speed with speed, you know, and you got to get in a track meet with them. And it's the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's the only way we're going to win. And the whole time, I'm saying, let me—I t- don't care how fast you are. Like, you know what? You know what? Running a great forty makes you—it makes you fast. It doesn't make you a great football player. I, show me the top ten forties ever run at the combine, and I'll show you one guy that actually was a good football player. Show me the top ten bench presses. The top 10, 225 bench press. And I'll show you one guy that was actually a decent player. You know what benching makes you? Good at lifting weights. It doesn't make you good at football. And, you know, there's this misconception that if we just can run fast, well, then everybody's going to be open and we're going to be able to just, you know, throw points on the board. The bottom line is if you can't block people and you can't control the line of scrimmage, you do not win in the National Football League. And so when I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, yeah, they have Travis Kelsey, and yeah, they have McCole Hardman, and yeah, they have um, Hill, and yeah, they have a lot of speed and a lot of really good, fast football players in Watkins. But the bottom line is they have two bookend tackles in Fisher and Schwartz who can lock people up. They can play 5-0, meaning five guys protecting five rushers. They've got uh, Coletio Semele, who was who was one of the best guards in football, had a couple of injury riddled seasons, but he's back in there. I mean, they are they are so stacked across the line of scrimmage that that they like that's what they do. They dominate the line of scrimmage and they allow Patrick Mahomes to get four or five guys out in the pattern at all times, and they just cut you up. I mean, they are phenomenal. They look like they're having so much fun. It's sickening. Well, does it did it seem like last night that uh, or Monday night? that it seemed like they were almost having too much fun at a certain point. That, the end of that oh. half got sloppy, and then the beginning of the second half got really sloppy. And you could see uh, the enemy getting, you know, really yeah. upset. Because they did. They looked like they were just, I don't want to say goofing around, but they were on cruise control, and you could feel it. You could see it, and there wasn't an urgency, and that, especially on that offensive side of the ball, and that's, that, that started to get scary. That's when I thought that Baltimore had a chance, but they just don't have the real firepower. Right. Well, I think the other thing is it's, it, it was coming so easy to them. It was, and you're, like you said, it was fun. You almost get lackadaisical about it. Like, oh, you know what? We can do whatever we want. I mean, come on. They're throwing, they're flipping a reverse and flipping it back to Mahomes, and he's throwing a rail route to the tailback, and then, Next thing you know, you're throwing a you're throwing a pass into the end zone to your left tackle, and I mean it's just like it's too easy. It's like stealing, and you know. And then they got a little bit lackadaisical, and it was funny. The the enemy got in everybody's grill, you know, which he's apt to do. And the next thing you know, they come right back down and score again. So um, you know, that's I, I think that's part of the deal. But they are so talented, and they do such a good job with play design. And it's almost like they're so good at the basics of what they want to do as an offense. Then it's like, you know, Andy Reid is like this mad scientist. You know, it's almost like he, he's almost this cartoon character, like with that big visor, you know, and he just – like he's in, in the laboratory making crap up. And, and, and they've got the quarterback that can just ex- execute. I mean, it's just amazing what they're able to do. He's got so much going on before the play starts – with right. uh, you know the motion and like it's almost fake motion they go one way uh Tyreek Hill go one way he'll come back the other way and then they're circling around uh, it's to me it's almost flag football I, it's that it seems the stuff yeah. they're doing like that you know that that play where they pitched it back and then threw it back. they're they're doing that all over the place uh and I, I 
part of it, I think, is this COVID year. A lot of people are like, eh, we don't know what's going to happen anyway. So we're going for uh, fourth and two. We're going for it. We're doing all these kind of everybody's taking chances they've never taken before. And a lot of it's paying off. And it's a more I think it makes the game more fun. But at the same time, you're going, what's happening? This isn't regular football anymore. Right. I've even quit listening to you. I was really thinking about if Andy Reid was a cartoon character and you had to make him, you had to make him like an animal with that big fluffy mustache and that he'd be like the walrus. He'd just be like he if he had a cartoon like he'd be a walrus. That would be the character you would draw for Andy Reid. And then Patrick Mahomes would be like a what would he be like? I don't, I don't know. know. I quit he, listening to you. Yeah, I, I don't really. I don't know. I was just daydreaming about a walrus with a face mask on and chubby cheeks and kind of a little beard thing hanging down. Like, sorry. How, how is uh, has, has there ever been a quarterback in football that's done speed walking better than a seventy-year-old mall woman than Patrick Mahomes? That weird walk back to the huddle isn't a run. It isn't a jog. He speed walks. It's all hips, and it makes him. And then you start watching him twist his hips like he's a dancer when he throws. And it starts to add up that he moves different than everybody else. He's just got a unique everything. He, 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 I, he's a unicorn. Uh, he, that's what his character would be. He, uh, <laughs> when he takes a dump, it's rainbow sherbet. He could just have like a, he could have like a little, like one of them little ice cream cars. Right. And people would say, yeah, I'll take a rainbow sherbet. He just sticks it underneath him, dumps in it and says, here you go. Uh, here's your rainbow sherbet. And it's delicious every time it's a hundred percent. Awesome. Uh, he's just—he's a freak show. You know, there are some guys that just have an ability. Both, like with him, it's—it's it's above the neck that's really impressive. But his below the neck ability is—is is out of the world. I mean, he's—you know—arm strength and arm talent and a, a mobility and all those things and accuracy and all that. But he just understands the game. You know, sometimes I really think that. You guys or kids who grew up around it, if they can stay grounded, because his, obviously his father was a baseball player for 14 years or whatever it was in the major leagues, he's grown up in a locker room. That's not, it's not overwhelming. It wasn't surprising. He expected to be there. You know, it's, it's one of those kind of situations. And he just absorbed a lot of things. And, and I mean, obviously he's supremely gifted and supremely talented, but, um, it just is like from the day he walked in, he just like belonged. He was like, hey, this is where I was supposed to be. This is where I was born to be. And uh, he is just, I mean, he's a joy. To, I hate, like, there's a juxtaposition for me because, you know, I still root for the, the Broncos. So I both love Patrick Mahomes because I love greatness, and I hate his guts because he's I a watch chief. him play, and I think to myself, we're never going to win again ever here in Denver. <laughs> like, it's like we – it's just uh, write it off for the next 15 years until he's gone. And by that time, um, you know, I, I would imagine that I won't be even able to see the TV anymore. I'll be like just, you know, slobbering on myself. Be dreaming point. about walruses and unicorns. <laughs> yeah. That's that kind of how it goes, Frank. Big on that shit, Sherbert. How, how much is Denver drooling over Enemy coming back as a coach? You know, I hey, listen, man. I mean, you think about what's going on here in Denver. So, in the last five years, we've had five offensive coordinators. Uh, I think we've had three head coaches in the last five years. Um, we've gone through this Thursday night against the Jets will be the ninth quarterback we've started since 2015 in Peyton Manning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the names are uh trevor simeon brandon allen joe flacco uh bross brock osweiler um uh rusty gutful i think was one of them i think that was yeah he was rusty uh i mean it it is a cavalcade of of uh who's not who type of of guys it was paxton lynch that guy I, i said it on the broadcast when i did the broncos uh Tampa game this weekend on Fox. I go, he started more video games than he did regular season games um, for the Broncos. I mean, it's just is a, I mean, it's a real shit show. So uh, that's where we are right now as a franchise. 
Yeah, but the, the homecoming of the enemy back to Colorado is interesting because he's basically Andy Reid is kind of Tom Coughlin in his own way too, and taking his wildly successful offense for years and said, "I'm going to leave it in your hands." If the enemy's calling the plays, I don't think I've seen better play calling in the in football. Yeah, either. I don't. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because you never know exactly. But obviously, Eric Bieniemy is going to be one of those guys that uh, obviously deserves an opportunity. Will he become a head coach and kind of? Uh, you know, it's always funny though to me because you see so many guys that you know have been great coordinators or great coaches in this league that finally get the opportunity to be a head coach, and then they're just abysmal at being a head coach. And I think there's, I think there's a couple of different factors to it. Um, I think one of the big things is as a head coach, you really lose your, your ability to coach, like your connection with players. You're really coaching coaches. You're telling the coaches kind of what you want and how you want to operate. And you lose some of that connectivity. That's why you got into coaching. And a lot of guys, I think struggle. That's why they don't want to give up some play calling. They don't want to give up that, you know, some of that connectivity. And I just think there's some guys that, you know, obviously are, are great, great coordinators or great positional coaches that are just really bad head coaches. And, you know, you don't know until you guys give a guy an opportunity. You don't know until you know. So it'll be interesting to see kind of that next evolution of guys who get those opportunities. Like Good. BNME certainly deserves one. He's certainly been you know, uh, Andy's right-hand man, and, and like you said, the play calling has been sublime. It's just been great. Do yeah. most coaches, you know, coordinators, do they want that head coaching job, or are there some you've run into where they go, hey, this is what I'm good at. I'm just going to make as much money as I can doing this because the head coaching, I mean, I guess you can go back and be a coordinator. Everybody seems to do that, but it, yeah. it's really hard to be a head coach. I think it, yeah, I think there's, I think there's, you know, everybody wants to kind of dabble to see if they could do it. But I know plenty of guys, and I've talked to plenty of coaches that don't want, they don't want to, if they're a positional coach, they don't want to move to coordinate. They don't want to lose what they do um, and that connection they have with their players. And there's plenty of guys I've known over the years that don't want to go to them. They just want to stay where they are, like you said and continue to, to work on their craft and continue to do that part of it. So um, there are plenty of guys, but, you know, all of a sudden you get an opportunity and, you know, they're going to pay you six million bucks a year to be a head coach. And it's hard to say, you know, and you got a four-year deal, it's guaranteed. It's hard to say, you know what, I'll just continue to make a million a year. I'm good. You know, and, and so it's one of those things that I can set up not only – you know, my family for the rest of their life, but but two generations down the road, I can set them up. So I'm going to go ahead and take it. And and I, I think there's a lot of guys that get trapped into that. When you go and you're on the road doing these games, because uh, you're on the road every week now. Yeah. So what is the, what's the, what are all the protocols you have to go through? Uh, you know, because we see everything on the field with the masks and all this kind of stuff. What is your life like? You're getting on planes. You're getting on commercial yeah. planes, and yeah. you're you know hazmatting up. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, first off, like every every day, like five days or four days before I start to travel. So I, I start on or four days before the game. So I start on like Wednesday or Thursday. I have to do a daily kind of report. So I've got a a website that I go to, um, and um, you know I. I end up doing, you know, you answer a bunch of questions and then um, then you have to take your temperature rectally, of course, because I want it to be as accurate as possible. Um, so that's I'm a stickler for accuracy, if nothing else, Frank. Stick is the you, key syllable. Yes, yeah. You know that. Um, and so then I, uh, I I do that every day. I also I also before I leave, I take a covid test every week. Um, to make sure that I don't have COVID. And then once I get on the plane and I just, I wash my hands a lot and I wear, you know, I never realized how much I touched my face yeah. until I started wearing a mask. And, and like, John, you have the, you have the facial hair too. I'm constantly doing, you know, I, yeah, I think I take where I watch and I'm constantly all over my face. And I never realized it until I had to wear the mask. Um, and so, you know, I mask up, I get on the plane I wipe everything down, and um, and then I usually just work. Uh, so I, it, it hasn't been 
I think everybody is pretty respectful. You know, when you get on the plane and you get into the airport, pretty much everybody has masks on. And how full have the planes been that you've been on? Are the planes full? Uh, fairly, yeah. yeah, yeah. But like I said, they don't let you on without a mask. They pass up little towelettes to wipe everything down. I have, you know, I have all kinds of towelettes and hand sanitizer and all kinds of crap. And, um, you know, I just, like I said, I wash my hands quite a bit, uh, soap and water. And then when I don't have that, I use the sanitizer and, uh, and, you know, clean up my seat and everything. And, um, it's, and then you get to the, you get to the hotel and you're, you, you just keep to yourself pretty much the whole time. Is that the, the protocol? Yeah, we, we have, well, in Fox, you know, we'll have a, a meeting room. So we do the, we used to go to practice. We still go to practice at some places, but you know, we're way far away. Uh, everybody has the masks on. And then, um, you know, we have a, a, a meeting room where we do our prep work and we do our Zoom calls with the teams. So when we meet with the teams, we Zoom with the teams. And, um, you know, they get on and we do a video conference and we talk to, you know, the coordinators and we talk to the head coach and a couple of players. And, and we'll do that for both teams over Zoom, um, which is nice to still be connected visually with guys so you can see kind of, expressions and kind of where they are uh you know and it, and it helps you really kind of dig deep with those guys or dig deeper with those guys but you know we all everybody is but everybody that gets there has already passed the COVID test so you know um we still social distance in the room and stuff but we can take off our masks and work in there um so and and if you're in the hotel in public you just you know again you mask up and you get on the elevator and then I just kind of stay in the room prepping right. Yeah, give yourself so a, have a temperature check four or five times before bed. Um, I, you know what? I like to sleep with it in there overnight oh, just to make sure that make sure in the morning I get a real accurate reading yeah. of kind of where I'm at. Is that what you meant by dig deep? Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. So I'll give you my, I'll give you, uh, speaking of, of football, I'll, I'll give you. There was no uh, football in that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll get, okay. So you're going to love this. You're going to love this. So I'm going to tell you a story. You're going to love this. So, I'm playing with the Broncos and we're at the Super Bowl and we're in Miami, right? And this is a back-to-back Super Bowls. And this time we're in Miami. And so Miami, we're in their facility and they have this walk-in cold tub and walk-in hot tub. And you can do contrast baths, right? So you can get in the cold tub for a while and then you can get in the hot tub and you go back and forth, back and forth. So um, we're cold, you know, in the cold tub, whatever, in the hot tub, in the cold tub, in the hot tub. And, um, and so I'm floating around in the hot tub. It's after practice. You know, it's kind of late. There's not a whole lot of people there. Um, and so I, uh, I'm, I'm laying there, and one of the Miami Dolphins trainers who are helping us all out is, is in there, comes in there, and I said, hey, man. I go, hey, dude, I don't feel good. Go, go get Greek. Greek was our head trainer. And he goes, he goes scampering off to go get Greek. And so I walk up in the hot tub, out of the hot tub, and I'm standing on the first step of the hot tub, butt naked, and I'm leaning on, I'm leaning on the, the handrail, right? And so Greek comes running in, and it's Greek, and it's all our assistant trainers, and it's all the Miami Dolphins trainers. He's like, what's up? I go, dude, I don't, I don't know. I go, I just, uh, I, I don't feel good, man. I got sick. I got dizzy. Uh, I feel like I'm going to vomit. I, I, I think I've got a terrible fever. I go, do me a favor. And he goes, yeah. I go, check my temperature. I turned around, and I had that really 12-inch long thermometer jammed up my butt cheeks. And, <laughs> and I, go, Would you check? I go, please check my temperature. I turned around, and I got this thing hanging out of my ass. And, dude, they all, like, I just fell back in the hot tub. I am howling. I thought I was the funniest man in America at that point. And they're, my Greek is like, you know, up yours type of thing. And um, – and they all literally and these Miami yeah. Dolphins trainers are like they, they don't know what's going on. And so in this at the Super Bowl, the last couple of years, every now and again, I bump into one of those guys who's still working. You know, they all go to the Super Bowl and they work the events and stuff. And they're like, you're the guy. You're the thermometer guy. <laughs> I still to this day, I still get it. I bump into those guys every now and again and get the hey, thermometer guy. What, what's great is to the to them the dolphins guys you're the thermometer guy but to mel blunt you're mark yes yeah. exactly three super bowl rings and there are people who remember you for your asshole and, you're <laughs> yeah. 
that's better. That's a better lifestyle. I'm in on yeah. that. That's hilarious. That's a riot. Oh what do you God. think uh, about um, – I feel like Bill Belichick is with Cam Newton – and I'm looking for you to correct me on this of craziness because I do think Tom Brady's great, but I think Belichick's hurting Brady's legacy a little bit with he's taking these teams, uh, this team, and he's they look like the best team. Uh, they look like a top five team in the league already. Uh, uh, two things because I want to talk about Brady too, but I'll answer the Cam question first. They're just better than everybody else. Like you know they. The New England Patriots are like Globo Gym. We're better than you, and we know it. You know, I mean, that's they're just they're just smarter. Like most coaches are enamored. Most people forget coaches. Most people are absolutely enamored with what you aren't. You know what I mean? They're like they're like you know, the guy is fast and he's big and he's strong, but you know he's not X. He's not whatever. And Bill Belichick is like, I don't care what a guy isn't. Tell me what he is, and let's find a way to win with that. Let's mitigate weaknesses and accentuate strengths. And most people are enamored in the National Football League with what guys are. And instead of saying, like, when I played in Denver, Mike Shanahan, after, like, my second year here, um, my knee, like, my left knee was so decrepit. And I got hurt pulling once. And they were just like, you know what? We're taking that out of the playbook. And, and Mike was like, where a lot of guys would say, hey, he can't pull anymore. You know, we can't run counter. We can't run power. There's things we can't run. We need to replace it. And Mike Shannon was like, screw it. We just won't run that anymore. Because he's really good at zone. He's really good at 19 handoff and 18 handoff and 14 and 15. And he's great at that stuff. Let's just focus on that stuff and run the play action off of that stuff. We only ran power one way, away from me. We're like, <laughs> we're not going to run that play anymore. And, and great coaches will sit there, or great leaders, great business people will say, I'm not going to focus on what you're not. I'm going to focus on what you are, and can we win with that? And that's what Bill Belichick does better than any – like, and the Patriots do better than any other staff in all of football. They find out what you're good at. They'll be like – Hey, listen, this guy can't do X, Y, and Z, but he can do he can do A, B, and C. And what we're going to do is keep him on our roster for seven plays a game because he will dominate at A, B, and C. And you know what? That's going to give us a chance to make three first downs, keep a drive alive, and win a football game. So why and, doesn't anybody else do that? They don't have the standing. They don't have the, the respect that Belichick has to be able to pull it off. I think, I think that's part of it, and I just think it's mindset. It's, it's hey – we want somebody that can do everything, and nobody can. And so instead of specializing, you know, they, they, want, they don't want to specialize like that. They don't want to keep a guy on their roster that can only give them six plays. And Belichick goes, well, those might be the most important six plays of the game. So why wouldn't I keep that guy on the roster? It's just a different mindset, and I don't think many people have that mindset. Many, many coaches worry about what you, are or what you aren't as opposed to what you are. And, and it's just the way they are. Now, going to Brady, Brady's fascinating to me. One, he's beautiful, and he's the world's greatest American, and he's got that swell cleft in his chin, and I would just like to nestle in there and take a nap. Like I just think, Like a thermometer? Yes, yeah. it's just it's a beautiful <laughs> – he's a, he's a beautiful man. He's uh, ridiculous. But here's the crazy thing. I keep seeing – I've done two Tampa games in a row – and you hear the articles and you read the articles going in. And it's all about, oh, Brady, you know, is he going to be washed up? This offense isn't clicking, this offense. In 2012, the, new, the, the Denver Broncos signed Peyton Manning. And in 2012, with an offseason, with OTAs, with preseason, the Broncos started that season two and three. Peyton Manning went in week two to Atlanta through three picks and had a horrible game. And all the articles around the nation and here in Denver was, it was a mistake to sign Peyton Manning. He's washed up. He's no good anymore. Then they're playing the Chargers in week six. They're two and three, and the Chargers go up 24 to nothing on them at halftime. They came back and won that game and didn't lose another game that year. 
The following year, Peyton Manning set all the records, 5,500 yards passing, 55 touchdowns, blah, blah, blah. They went to the Super Bowl. They lost to Seattle. And eventually they went and won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50 uh, against Carolina. Peyton didn't play really exceptionally well then. But, you know, their defense was great and everything else. But the point being is it's it like the similarities between what people are saying in Tampa right now about Tom Brady and what people said in, two, in 2012 about Peyton Manning are, are virtually identical. And when this team, because Tampa is incredibly talented, I mean, their roster is loaded. When they start having the nonverbal communication success that they didn't get to build over the offseason, that they didn't get to build with OTAs and with the, the preseason, when they start to click, and I believe they will, they're going to be a freaking juggernaut. How many because games do you give that? What do you think that takes, five, six games, just to yeah, start feeling it? Probably six, probably at least six. But their defense is going to keep them in every game because their defense is their defense is one of those defenses that you think about like back in the day, the you know, 2000 Ravens, the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. You think about the 2015 Denver Broncos, um, maybe the, the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, they are – this defense is vicious. They are fast. They are young. They are aggressive. And they are – I mean, they have a nasty attitude. So, they'll keep them in every game. I said that about the, the Buccaneers after watching last week, even against Denver. You're just watching that deep. That might be the best front seven in football. It, I mean, there may be a couple, yeah. you know, questions, but that that team will stay in games. And if that offense clicks and puts 26 on the board regularly, they won't lose again because that defense is not going to let up. And they're the only ones with a back half that complements that seven. Like I think the Steelers' front seven is ridiculous, but I do mm. think they've got you know zone issues in the back end that will keep them from being the Patrick Mahomes beater. I look at that Buccaneers' defense; they can beat anybody. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's interesting about them, too. Todd Bowles is, was a former teammate of mine with Washington um, back when I used to play for a team that had a nickname, now they're the Washington football team. But, um, but Todd is incredibly aggressive. He's got, he's got this no fear, I'll blitz every single down if I, if I want to. And the, you're right about their front seven is incredible. But what people don't know and what they're going to realize at the end of the year is how good their back end is. Oh, it's huge. Um, yeah, I mean, Carlton Davis is becoming one of the best cover corners in football that nobody's ever heard of. Um, Murphy Bunting got a hamstring last week, but he plays all over the place. He's a great player. Jamel Dean is really good. There are two safeties. Antoine Winfield Jr., his father played for 14 years in the league, was a, a you know perennial Pro Bowl type guy, three-time, four-time Pro Bowler. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. is a great safety that not only can play the deep third, he can he can run support, and he's a great blitzer. Uh I mean, I'm telling you, they are loaded in their back end, and they do. They run a real complimentary style with their front seven and, and their back end, the way they blitz and the way they take care of each other. So Tampa's got they're, – they're a legit defensive football team that's got a real chance at uh, once their offense starts to click, it really – like really – like winning that – winning the whole NFC or at least winning that NFC South for sure. Yeah. Do you see any – go ahead, John. I was going to say, I see that same thing, and there's only two or three teams I think that can be in the in the uh, conversation about stopping the high-powered offenses, and they're – I mean, I think they're the first one you mentioned because it's stout – and not only 11, probably 13, 14 deep on that defense because there's guys that come in for dime, and then they're, they're secondary. Yeah. There's two guys deep on each position. They're, they're ridiculous. I mean, they're going to get raided next year with free agency. But they'll still be okay because they got 14 players on defense that are flat scary. Nobody's talking about their defense. Yeah, I know because it's all about Tom Brady and his beautiful eyes. That's <laughs> and the jawline. That's well, what it really not. comes down to. Yeah, I wonder what yeah. his temperature. <laughs> I know somebody will uh, check hey, it. I would love to check it. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you see? So you've got uh, you've got Tampa way up there. Um, the the. Um, the Patriots, you just – they yeah. could. You, you don't know. Uh, do you think the Chiefs are far and away above everybody? Or – because Seattle, Seattle seems to be missing a little something. Russell Wilson, we had this discussion a couple weeks ago, and I, I, everybody said Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes. I go, you're forgetting about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is so good, and he's got oh. a little bit more experience. Anything can – if Russell Wilson's on the field – I don't know. They could always win. And Aaron Rodgers seems to be trying again. It's really, yeah. it's really interesting. 
Right. Aaron Rodgers playing great. Um, yeah, I mean, and Russell Wilson, I mean, does anybody, you know, everybody says, well, he throws the best deep ball in, in football. Yeah, he does. He, he's just, in, he's incredible that way. And, like, his connection when things break down, um, you know, I joke around, I joked around on broadcast last year that he and Lock, uh, uh, Tyler Lockett, they went to Hogwarts together because as soon as things break down, I mean, it's just like they are mind melt with each other. Like it's, it's ridiculous to watch um, the scramble drill type of stuff take place for the Seattle Seahawks. So, and, and they're, you know, with Lockett and then the emergence of DK Metcalf, they've got three or four tight ends that are really good players. Um, they're, they have an outstanding group, an outstanding, just an absolutely outstanding group. And so, yeah, they, I mean, the thing about the Seahawks is the other thing about, and Pete Carroll preaches it all the time, is like we win close one-score games. Every game we're in is a one-score game, and we win them. And they just believe, they have this belief about them that they're just going to win those games. And they play that way. So, yeah, they're great. Green Bay Packers, what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball, with what, the way Aaron Rodgers are playing, they've been um, unbelievable. As you said, Mahomes – is is absolutely incredible. There's, you know, there's a handful of teams that have a real shot. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's, you know, the Jets and the Giants and the Broncos and and those teams that um, that are just, you know, <laughs> what about the Steelers for John? They got some. They uh, got- the Steelers are outstanding. And you know what? It, it, I think I think the thing that's exciting about the Steelers is they're developing a young receiving core that. I think it's got the potential to be really good. Um, and as Ben continues to come back from the injury and, and continues to find kind of that rapport with those guys, I think they've got a chance to be really good. Their defense is always going to be good. It's just because they have played it for so long and they're so good at they, they they just know what they're doing, right? And so they've got two guys off the edge and T.J. Watt and Dupree that can really play. Hayward is a great inside player um, as a defensive lineman. They're just a really outstanding football team, and they're really tied together on the defensive side of the ball. So I think as Ben continues to develop and they continue to work those young receivers, um, they got a chance to be really good. Yeah, their receivers, that core is scary when you look at it. They're just so young. I think Juju's the oldest wide receiver. Right. The oldest guy with uh, McDonald, the tight ends, but he's 23 and he's the, he's the old spokesman in the receiver room, which is crazy. Uh, but they are loaded up. I just don't think – I don't know. I just don't think that they can keep up with the Mahomes of the world because there's just so much that a blitzing defense – you saw it with the Ravens last night. An offense like yeah. that puts a blitzing defense on skates. And it's, and it's, you know, it's the Steelers what they do on defense. But there's, there's always been a team that can knock them out because they just had one extra weapon that takes that away. So maybe they're smart enough now. But I think the Steelers are that second tier – compared to what I watched last night. That, that Chiefs thing last night. How do you stop the Chiefs? Who does it? Who do you, who do you lean on with that? Well, the, the teams that have stopped them, and I went through a kind of an extensive offseason because I had nothing other to do than to look at football stuff, you know? <laughs> so I spent the whole COVID, like, studying. Um, I went through all eight of their losses over the last two years, including the playoffs. And the teams that have beaten the Chiefs have won – possess the football they churn out first downs they whether they run it or whether it's a short passing game um i think they average close to 30 first downs the teams that that won like i think the chargers had 29 that they, they just possess the clock most of the time it was 40 to 20 in time of possession and it still came down to the last they st- and all those games pretty much came down to last drive even though it was 40 minutes of possession to 20 minutes of possession, it still came down to who had the ball last, won the game. And so, you know, I I still believe in – I think people get duped into believing, well, we've got to try to match their speed and we've got to try to score for score with them. And I think that's – I think that's – a little bit ludicrous because I think they just are better than you. You know, they have more weapons than you do. They have more speed than you do. And my big thing is eliminate possessions. So the average NFL football game has about 12 possessions. Can you get them down to seven possessions? 
And, and in that seven possessions, you know, they're probably going to score um, four touchdowns and two field goals. Right. And you, and you get, so they're going to score six times and you're going to, you know, you're going to keep them from scoring on one possession or maybe two. So at the end of the day, you know, it's 31, they're going to score. You got to beat them with time position. You got to score 32. Like that's kind of how you got it. That's kind of the teams that have done it. And I went through, like I said, I went through all eight losses. The teams that have done it have pretty much all done it that way. Now, some of them run the snot on the ball to possess it and, and really done well. Tennessee won a regular season game, I believe, where they run the, they ran the snot. A couple teams have done it that way. The Chargers really did it with a short passing game and just churned out first downs, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Um, and, and I think Indy did it running the ball on them. I think Indy won, won a game. The Indy was the one outlier. They won like 19 to 16. Yeah. Um, but most of the time it was, you know, it was 31, 29. It was, uh, it was 31, 34. It was something like that. And they got beat in possession. So I, I just don't think you can line up and say, Hey, let's get in a track meet with Kansas city chiefs because they, you know, they got a bunch of Usain bolts on their team and you don't. How hard is it not to get into a track meet though? When you go down and it takes you six minutes, you drive, you get three. And then in a minute later, it's seven to three. You, you feel like you have to get into that shootout. Yeah, I, and that's where they get you. I mean, that honestly, that's where they get you is when you're down, um, when you're down to Kansas City seven to three, you feel like you're down by fourteen. Right. And coordinators, coordinators get uptight and they say, "Okay, we got to score, we got to score, we got to score." And I think the coordinators that do it the best, they say, "Hey, we got to possess the ball, we got to possess the ball, we got to possess the ball." And scores will come when we possess the ball and we wear them out, but. I think you I think you fall victim to you're down by four points and you feel like you're down by 14. And I think I, I see that all the time with the Chiefs. People just get out of a rhythm. Even even Baltimore on Monday night, like Baltimore is like you're still in that game. You could still execute your game plan. And you drove right down the football field in the first possession, running the snot out of the football, and you ended up kicking, you know, a field goal. And and then you just kind of – then you fall apart and because they drive right down and score, and you're like, uh-oh. I just – I think it's hard to stay – it's hard to stay true to your game plan, uh, especially if you're down even by even by four points because it feels like an eternity to get back. Before we uh, – we got to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but before we go, where are you this week? Uh, this week I'm in Los Angeles um, calling L.A., the Rams, and, and Giants. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I would rather have my temperature taken by a rake. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Rams are actually really good. On, on yeah. tape, the Rams are really good. Um, very fast. You know, the Rams, I'll call it, they're the illusion of spread. They show you they're in 11 personnel. They're in three wides all the time. And they absolutely bludgeon people. Yeah. So they're motioning guys. They're they're fly they're flying across the 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 like um, they they get in a formation. So they'll get in trips and they'll fly to like to doubles. They'll fly one guy f fly to doubles, and so then they have a two by two formation, and then they motion another guy, and then they hit. And it's like they got guys going all over the place. There's this illusion of we're a spread football team. And then they run it down your throat on a consistent basis. It's, it's fascinating to watch. And the other thing that they do really well is they'll get into a formation. I watched them against uh, last week against uh, the Bills. In the second quarter, they got into a bunch right formation. So they had a tight end and two wide receivers tight to the line of scrimmage. And then they got bunch, like bunch right nasty. So this, the X receiver was down – close to the line of scrimmage, um, about five-yard split. And out of that formation, they ran handoff to the bunch, handoff away from the bunch. They ran jet sweep away. They ran jet sweep to the bunch. They ran a flood route to the bunch. They ran an individual route away from the – it all was identical in look, and everything was completely different. 
and it was fascinating. And the, and the way they ran the ball, their receivers, whether it's Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, those guys block like like veteran big time tight ends. It's it's a fascinating watch to watch what they're doing right now. And I laughed last year when people used to say, "Well, the league finally caught up to Sean McVay." Yeah. I was like, "No, they didn't. They lost their starting center. They lost their starting guard." And they replaced him with a couple of guys that were inexperienced and weren't good players. And they've got their offensive line back now, and they're and they're back to bludgeoning people. It's 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 fascinating to watch how many times they'll run a two man route or a three man route and keep six or seven in protection. They do it all the time, and you think of them as oh, they got all everybody out. They got like five guys out in the pattern. You know, all five eligible are out. No, they're not. There's only two eligibles out. Everybody else is blocking. And it's, it's fascinating. Now, the Giants, on the other hand, not fascinating. They're the <laughs> antithesis of fascinating. They are, they are static, boring, um, bad. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Static, boring, and bad. Is the, that's no way to go through life. Static, boring, and bad. <laughs> all right. As we go out here, I want to uh, tell me uh, – well, first of all, Mark Schlereth with Fox Sports, uh, three-time Super Bowl champion, stinking good green chili – Right. Um, all the great stuff. Where can they get the chili? Uh, right now, you know, the best place to do it, just uh, check us out at stinkinggood.com. Um, okay. So stinking good. It's just one G, stinking good. So stinking .com, good. you can find out all you need to know over there. How about that? And as we wrap up, I just want your best Gruden. Give me a little. Give me a little. Oh, no, man. I tell you what. <laughs> wait, wait. I can't do it now. I tell you what, man. That's oh, terrible. That's Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah, I can't farted. believe what's going on. <laughs> oh, there is a little Chris. I didn't realize that there is a little Gruden and Chris Rock. All there. impressions. They're all the same thing. It's just it, John and I talk about this all the time. They just there's slight variations. We figured out Joe Biden was uh, Troy Aikman. They're very similar. <laughs> Uh, what's a well? Chris Rock and Terry Bradshaw are literally the same voice. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Terry Bradshaw to Chris Rock to George W. Bush. You just lighten it. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, see, it's fascinating. There's another it's... one, John. There's another Obama one. Obama and Madden. Say that again. Obama, Madden, Koppel are all pretty much in the same. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Yeah, and it's a... cadence has a lot to do with it, right? The yeah. cadence of different guys' voices. Yeah, look, he's doing it. What are you doing? Yeah, see, you doing Bush the, right there? The kids, the different guys' voices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mark. Awesome, Mark. Thank you. John, Frank, hey, Frank, it's always good to see you, man. Yeah, Love you, you like too. a brother. Thanks, guys. All right. See you later. Rack me. I am out. Great. Great show. How great is that? <laughs> later. <laughs>